Please be seated. Remember the first time I got lost? I was at an air show with my parents. I was probably about five years old. We were in Ohio. They're very big on air shows in Ohio for some reason. And uh, I was walking along. It was packed that day. There were people all over the place. And I was staring at the sky, as one does at an air show. Uh, so I'm walking along through this crowd, and I'm looking up at the air. And I reach out my hand to grab Dad's hand. I grab the hand but it wasn't my dad's hand. And I quickly drop it, and I look around, and it's just thousands of people all around me, packed in tight as we're moving around. And I'm just a little guy. I can't see. And it's noise everywhere. So I can't hear anything either. Just this cacophony of voices and cheers and jets racing over me. I'm completely hosed until a few moments later my mom comes plowing like like an irate rhinoceros through the crowd and she finds me and she scoops me up and everything is fine. I stopped paying attention for one second. I got distracted for just a little bit and all of a sudden the noise and the surroundings and the blindness from all the competition that was there, and I couldn't find who I was supposed to be following. It's very easy to lose a voice. It's very easy to lose our way when we are supposed to be following. And actually, as a kid, maybe this experience messed me up a little bit, because as a kid, uh, it was really hard for me to like the Good Shepherd passages because they would always say things like my sheep know my voice and they follow me and this was a freaky thing for me to hear what did Jesus's voice sound like could I pick Jesus out of a lineup how was I supposed to tell I'd never heard him talk before so I started to get concerned like to what extent would I be able to pick Jesus out of a crowd when I don't really know what the guy sounds like. Our text today deals with uh, this issue exactly. It takes place uh, during the wintertime uh, on Solomon's porch. It's kind of this covered walkway uh, that's, uh, that's in the temple complex where people would gather and talk. Think like a, it's like a fellowship area but with more arguing, okay? And uh, Jesus gets confronted by a group of people. There's a really aggressive confrontation uh, that they bring him here uh, in the middle of winter during the Feast of Dedication. We'd still, we still you know, hear about the Feast of Dedication, but we usually call it something else. It's Hanukkah. That's right. So it's Hanukkah. It's the Festival of Lights. The Light of the World is celebrating it right now, and we join him in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of St. John. We'll start reading at verse 22. It's the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. So what does the voice of the shepherd sound like? At first brush, it looks like they're making a fairly reasonable request. They want Jesus to just answer, are they the Messiah? But if you've been reading John straight through up to this point, you see that Jesus, for many chapters already, has been consistently telling everyone he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is God himself. He has identified himself by this point as I am. He has repeatedly said, that he is the Messiah here to redeem the world. So why are they having trouble with believing this? Why are they having trouble even understanding what it is that he's saying to him with these words and with these miracles and with these prophecies getting fulfilled? Where's the confusion coming from on their part? At least in part. It's because Jesus is not the Messiah they were looking for. They don't recognize his voice because they forgot what they were supposed to be listening for. There are forces in the world at this time that have utterly reshaped the idea of what it is that they should be looking for in the Messiah. Actually, it's ironic that this takes place during the Feast uh, feast of Dedication, during Hanukkah, right? Because it's commemorating something where people were looking to somebody and believed that he might be the Messiah. They were looking at Maccabee. And uh, this, this wonderful warrior who had come in while the Seleucids were in charge of uh, Israel and had profaned the temple. And they were looking at this Maccabee and saying, this must be the Messiah. He's here to drive out the Seleucids. He kind of did. It was, he did okay. Uh, as warriors go, they were still a vassal state. Rome came rolling in not long after. Uh, the Seleucids were out. Judah, uh, uh, Judah died during, uh, Judah Maccabee died uh, during the uh, conflict. But this is what they had in mind for what a Messiah was supposed to be, somebody who was supposed to make things better for them now. And here, they wanted a Messiah who would come into this world and fight, fight a culture war for them, who would make their lives here better and able to continue in the way that they felt like they had uh, been going in the past. They don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah because he's not the Messiah they were looking for. They don't know the sound of the Savior's voice. It's actually kind of a familiar distraction, right? It's kind of a familiar pattern. Uh, The Pharisees want this Messiah who's going to fight a culture war for them. In the United States and in Christianity in general, it is a very popular vein that looks to faith as something that is supposed to make the world better, that we have a culture that we need to fight for, and then everything here will just be better. If it could just be more Christian-y, then life would be so good here. Uh, We call it social gospel. And the justifications that get offered for this sort of thing are identical to the kind of justifications that the Pharisees would have offered for why they thought their Messiah should be a political one instead of a spiritual one. Concerns from the world and its operation are troubling, and they can cause us to change our focus to look right here in this world. But what's interesting is as soon as that happens, as soon as Christianity becomes about making this place better, we lose the Christianity and this place gets no better. So how 
can we hear the Savior's voice through that kind of noise? As soon as we're looking for a Savior who's just supposed to be making the world a better place, well, that's identical to every other voice in the whole world. Everyone from Hitler to Stalin to the Dalai Lama to everybody has had a common position. I'm here to make the world better. And if only everybody listened to me, and if only everybody followed me, what a wonderful place this would all be. So it's kind of, it makes sense. When people look at Christianity and say, how am I supposed to guess that this is the right one when everything else kind of sounds the same? Even if you start off believing that that's the right one, when it's given equal footing, it's very easy to lose the signal through the noise. In fact, in science, there's a thing, signal-to-noise uh, ratio, and there's all sorts of fun experiments uh, that happily are very easily replicable in a congregation such as this one uh, that show us how quickly it, we lose individual distinct voices. So let's go with, okay, Professor Lunston is nice and in the middle of uh, the congregation over there. So he's our target, right? We're going to try, we're going to vie for his attention. Everyone in the row that's to the left of him, would you please start counting up from one and just keep going? Don't stop. One. All of you. One, two, three, Four. Everybody to the right of him, would you please start saying the ABCs, and when you get to the end, just repeat. A, B, C. Oh, just in the row. Row in front, uh, let's go two rows in front of Ben, uh, the two, uh, two rows there. Sing Baby Shark, please. <laughs> and just put it on infinite repeat. Baby Shark, do 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 do, Baby Shark, good. Row behind him, sing happy birthday to Batman. Happy birthday to you. Do you guys see what happened? It kind of became a hum. And we only had four competing voices that were, I, I was looking for more enthusiasm from Baby Shark, I will admit, right? But uh, uh, we only had really four competing voices there, and it just turned into a kind of noisy drone. It was bad for everybody here, but for Professor Lunston, I'm positive you could not pick out individuals out of that uh, cacophony. So in all of this confusion, in a world in which so many things are vying for our attention and seem to have equal footing, how are we supposed to hear one voice, the voice of Jesus? How do we pick it out of a crowd? Well, first off, let's just answer. What is it that a shepherd is calling out for? Why is he calling the sheep in the first place? He's calling them because he wants to take them somewhere better. Right now, the sheep are in a pen, and the pen is effectively a cage. They are trapped in this pen, and the pen, they've been grazing around on the, the grass for a while, so now it's just muddy and disgusting and horrible. The sheep are filthy. They're going to starve to death if they can't get out of this pen, and they are stuck there. The shepherd opens up the gate, and he says, come follow me. I am going to take you to a place where you're not trapped, where you're not dirty, where there's plenty uh, to eat, and someplace that's better, where you won't wallow in filth or starve or be trapped. That's the voice that the sheep follow. 
the voice that's taking them, calling them out of the terrible situation that they're in and bringing them somewhere better. The voice of the shepherd doesn't say, all right, sheep, let's spruce up this pen and get it looking better. It calls them out to somewhere that is better. That's the voice of our good shepherd that rises up above the cacophony of this world because his is the only voice that calls us out of this world. Every single competing earthly voice promises something for here, right? That it can make this place better. Even if it's pointing to something in, the, in eternity, it's promising that something will be better out there, but this is what it costs right now. This is what you have to do uh, right now. Jesus' voice is distinct from all that. His is the voice that calls us from out of this world and to a better place. The voice of Jesus is the only one that makes heaven a gift. It's, his is the one that says, eternal life is free with me. It takes attention away from our own lives and it places it on his life, the life that he gave for you. So how do we hear that through all the noise? How does that shine out when it's drowned out by so many other messages and so many other conflicting things? Well, what's interesting about these texts is it doesn't elevate the sheep as the source of their own salvation. It doesn't elevate the sheep to the way that they got to somewhere good. Take a look at what it says. My sheep hear my voice, and not they know me right away, and I know them. The point isn't that they know him, it's that he reached out to them, and then they follow him. No one shall snatch them out of my hand, it says. It isn't about you reaching out for him. It isn't about you on this search, on this quest to try to find Jesus as he's missing throughout all this world and throughout all this noise. Jesus found you. He's done as he's always done. While you couldn't reach out for him, he reached out for you. We couldn't reach up to heaven. And so heaven reached down to you in the person of Jesus, true God and true man, were reunited in God and your brother in Christ. You couldn't reach God's standard of perfection. And so Christ reached out to you with his own life. You got tied to his perfection in baptism. He took your filth onto himself in those waters and made it his own. You couldn't dodge death. And so Jesus reached out and died on your behalf so that you will never experience what it is to die. Other people around you will. I'm going to die one day and my family will know what it's like when I die. My friends are going to know what it's like when I die, the ones who survive. I won't. I'm never going to have to experience my death. I'll be tootling along through this world, do, 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 and then all of a sudden, I'm in heaven. And if I have the presence of mind to say, whoa, what happened? The answer is not going to be you died. The answer is going to be Christ died. His death was mine, and now I'll never know what it is. 
We always refer to the grave like it's some great mystery that we can't see past. We can't reach past that grave and see what's over there. And so Christ reached out and shows us what's after death with an empty tomb. His is empty. Yours will be empty. He shows us what comes next. The voice of Jesus can be picked out even with all the noise because it's the only one that calls us out of this world based on his efforts and not on ours. His merits and not on ours. On work that was already done rather than work we need to do. So, follow Jesus's voice where it leads you. I was listening to a um, a podcast the other day, and they were talking about uh, being on their deathbeds one day. And they're like, you know, I just don't think that when I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to look back and I'll be like, oh, man, if only I could have worked one more day. And their point with all, they're right, right? That's not going to happen on your deathbed, right? But their point was, so we need to think about the things that really matter, like family and friends and good times and travel, right? Those are the things that you'll really appreciate when you're on your deathbed. And you know what? I think they're wrong. I don't think that those are the right things to be focusing on on your deathbed. I don't think it will be a particular comfort to say, if only I got to hug my daughter one more time. If only I got to kiss my wife one more time. How is that any different from me saying one more car and then I would have been happy or one more, you know, degree and then I would have been happy. It's no different from any of those things. Where is our Savior's voice calling from? It's not calling for us to look behind like Lot's wife as she left Sodom, but still had some part of her heart wanting to stay in that ugly, horrible place. It's calling from the other side. It's calling from green pastures. In this world, we focus on that voice, the voice that calls us into eternity and into perfection. Our Savior's voice is unique and identifiable because it removes our fear of the future. His death on a cross pays for our death. His empty tomb assures us of eternal life. It removes, therefore, our fear of the present and calls us instead through death into life. Follow it. Amen. Please rise for prayer. Lord God, In love, you sent your son to bring us out of a world of sin and into an eternal reunion with you in heaven. Drown out the voices that would take our attention from the shepherd you sent and allow us instead to keep our gaze focused on Jesus and his promise of forgiveness, joy, and eternal life. Forgive us our failings in this regard on account of Christ's perfect life and death on our behalf. And while we walk in this world, instill an appreciation of the gift Jesus' sacrifice paid for, eternity with you, and life unending. Amen.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.